right, welcome. Welcome to Let the Music Be Your Master. We've just been uh, reminiscing here on, on tape, and we, uh, tape, and we realized we hadn't even officially introduced ourselves. Welcome to <laughs> Let the Music Be Your Master, uh, where we break down uh, music from different eras, different decades, talk about what it means. I'm Jason. I'm Jordan. I'm Brandon. And uh, we're thrilled to be here. We've been talking about uh, previously uh, decades, breaking down decades of music. And uh, the premise, the way we've approached it, is we've each come up with lists of 10 songs. Uh, the idea being, if we were going to fire 10 songs from a decade into space for a future civilization uh, to, to recover and try to piece together uh, what was important, what was meaningful, uh, what we view music as from that decade what, what songs would we pick so it makes it hard that premise makes it hard because it's really tough to reduce a decade down to 10 songs and we inevitably leave some things off uh, in the process we give some awards decade champ also most overrated most underrated and it's been super fun so we today are going to attempt the 80s uh which i feel less confident uh today than i have for any of our previous podcasts there's so much so yeah. much to go through how are you guys mm -hmm. feeling about about this exercise today and, and what you've done with the 80s so far feeling good about my list yeah. uh but it was yeah it was tough getting to it the, the 80s required a lot more research for me because i knew the stuff that i was very familiar with um a lot of it i I don't know. It's it's eighties, you know. It's goofy. Yeah, <laughs> and so <laughs> it's got that it's got that eighties vibe to it, that sound, and um, so I, I had a harder time thinking. Wow, is this really what yeah. I would put on my list? Yeah. And a lot of the stuff that I know is good, or that I, when I've been looking through other recommendations. Some of it I hadn't heard before, yeah. and some of it I knew I knew the bands, but hadn't spent a lot of time with them. So it's it's been yeah. a blast listening to a bunch of this stuff. Yeah, it's been fun. I, there's a lot of good stuff uh, from the '80s, and and I'm still partial to the '70s. But what I've noticed is each decade, there's just more material that I'm familiar with, which makes sense, right? I was we were born late '70s, so, you know, '78. Right? Are you '78? '77? '77. You're '77, mm -hmm. Brandon. So '80s was definitely Jeez, dude, like a the, formative. Well, the oh, yeah, there it is. Social Security <laughs> numbers are coming next. <laughs> but one thing that came away, for, I came away with from this is that I was reminded of how I felt when we were preparing for the 50s. Mm -hmm. Not that I knew a lot of 50s music, but that a lot of the songs from the 80s that I, I didn't know even the, the, the band name, I just knew the song from being a kid and hearing the mm -hmm. song. So a lot of songs that I... That's how it was for the 50s. There was a lot of these like yeah. just poppy songs that like have hooks that it's like, oh yeah, this is a good song, you know, but it's also like, is it really great though? Or would I put it on the... That's kind of the 50s to me. And maybe it's partially, we talked during the 50s episode that during the 80s, there was a ton of movies that would harken back to the 50s. There's Back mm -hmm. to the Future, there's Stand By Me, there's all these kind of movies that go back and use a 50s kind of mentality or, or aesthetic. Um, and so I was reminded of that. And, but the other thing I thought of last when we 
talked about the seventies. We talked about genres really kind of, you had things from like black Sabbath to James Taylor to, you know, you have these really distinct kinds of music. Whereas in the eighties, it seemed like everything was like coming together where you had, it was all being unified by the synthesizer synthesizers. Even Van Halen starts using the synthesizer. Yeah. yeah, I was reading about them and that's what made their 1984 album, like way more popular than the previous ones as they, well, it's Jump. like R and B. R and B music started to sound more poppy. Punk music started to sound more poppy. Everything was like being pulled into this middle pop era, yeah. and that doesn't mean it wasn't good. It was just instead of being so different from each other, distinct. It's like between new wave and R and B, and and you well, know, it wasn't just synthesizers. Like you started seeing, hearing a lot more drum machines. Mm-hmm. You and so instrumentation was changing and kind of becoming this. Same kind of unified middle ground right. where you had common ingredients. Production quality changed. Yeah, like which make it, make I've it noticed that even the bands that have drummers sound like a drum machine. Yeah, mm-hmm. they do. They there's a name for it. It's the gate the gated drums. Yeah, they, yeah. So it sounds very era specific, which is interesting because it kind of made a common ingredient then where it made this kind of wide middle track that everybody existed on. But now when you listen to it, it gives it a very a very dated feel. It doesn't it doesn't seem to feel sometimes quite as um, timeless. Mm-hmm. I think right, which yeah. I. Well, uh, maybe if there's some younger listeners out there that can uh, reply, you know, go to our website, let the music be your master. Look up our, our contact. I think it's just contact at mm-hmm. let the music be your master dot com. Listen, I want to know what you younger generation thinks about this 80, 80s music that you're hearing for the first time, because we grew up with this like it was playing yeah. during elementary school for us it, and so now we have these so biases in the interest of full disclosure we all came of age at roughly the same time uh which would be more like early 90s graduated high mm-hmm. school in 95 96 yeah and so you know i think for us the music that kind of coincided with our own coming of age with our becoming teenagers was directly like rebelling against the 80s mm-hmm. it was really trying to run away from like every trope that existed within the 80s and i think i can't speak on behalf of both of you but i was raised at, like to almost just assume that the 80s sucked mm-hmm. the the stuff that i liked as a teenager was was like reinforcing that the decade before needed to be done away with and so this was a good exercise because there's it reminded me there's way more good stuff i still have this that bias i think somewhere built into my dna just because of how i came of age around music as a teenager and the the specific years i did but this was a good exercise to remind me that there's some there's some really good stuff and i i you know probably didn't give that decade as, as much of a fair shot as i should have as a young teenager, but that's that's just kind of how it went. Let me ask you guys this. So I noticed my top ten list, and we'll, we'll get into that real shortly here, but my top ten list is less stuff that I loved back then and more stuff that I came to love later that's from the 80s. There's a couple songs, probably only, only one or two on the top ten, that it's like I was listening to, whether in my home, from my siblings, or heard often in the 80s. Most of it's stuff that I started listening to as a... You know, as a you know, in my twenties, probably, 
And uh, but it's still from the eighties. See, that's because yeah. you're a mature individual. Mine's my is just all the stuff that you listened to when you were a kid. It, in a lot of cases, because I I I think I mean there were, I could have done like a nostalgia list that would have had like Cruel Summer and stuff like that on there. But, but no, mine's not like that. You'll yeah. you'll see. You'll, yeah. you'll as soon as you hear your you were a, oh, yeah, you were a music snob at age ten. I kind of was, or age six to ten, and so you had to, you already were there. Yeah, for me, if I if I did that, what I was listening to at the time. Like it'd be all, it'd like be all said, Chicago. It'd be Chicago. All, it'd be all I, top forty. By yeah. twelve years old, I was an absolute music snob. I remember. I remember being like so angry that as a like a twelve year old that some of my friends thought Pearl Jam was cooler than Soundgarden, and I was so pissed. I was twelve like, year old angry, like no, it's you Soundgarden. were comparing your arguments. Go listen to Bad Motor Finger. It's so much better um, than Pearl Jam. Are you yep, kidding me? Stand by it. You still yeah. think that? Yep. <laughs> we'll, we'll I don't get into that. I don't next think week. it's even really. No, I, think, I, I agree. I think it's a. I like Pearl Jam, but I, I think it is true that they are the the music snob will say Soundgarden the, over Pearl Jam nine out of ten times. The debate, the debate continues. But I do like Pearl Jam. I, yeah. I wouldn't think that. We got time for this later. Uh, yeah, let's let's get into it. I've got a. I've <laughs> got I'm a, intrigued. Though. I've got a 1980. <clears throat> are we ready to go? Let's do it. Okay, so I'm going to go with my ni- my first 1980 pick. It's from 1980. Quick question, and I, I'm sorry, but I get distracted easy. How many cell phones do you have, dude? I have four. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he <laughs> pulled one out of each one of his pockets. <laughs> and then I shuffle them around, and I'm using this. both of them. I have two cell phones. One's for Are work, you? one's for pleasure. <laughs> 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 there's a rap, there's a rap song from the 2010s about right a lot I've got on that two other phones. Cell phone. <laughs> there's so many jokes I want to make right now, but I'm gonna wait till we're not recording. Uh, no, I had one phone. I had my work cell phone that I was using for both, you know, personal yeah, and no, work. No, man, you don't want to mix you, that. And then, yeah, then I said I'm gonna get a different phone. You have as I many phones paranoid. as you want, man. This is America. I'm gonna go get a third one today. Do Burner. it. All right. Burner. Okay, so nineteen eighty. Yeah. This we've already established, you know, some of us go for a little more of this the smooth, mellow. Some of us want to be agitated, right? I like I like a little bit of both. But Christopher Cross. Ooh. Sailing? Yeah. No, yeah. no, not sailing. Right like the wind. I love sailing, but never be the same. Nineteen eighty. One quick quick little tidbit about Christopher Cross in this album. So he, this album technically was released December of 79, but he won a Grammy, Grammys for it in 1981. Sorry, Jordan's already breaking the rules. Listen, listen to this, though. Oh, we're, are we not supposed to tell until after? No, no, no. What's I'm just curious how you're okay, positioning okay. A, a 1979 album <clears throat> into the 80s. Because it was listed, the song's listed as 1980, even though the album... As a single. Yeah, that's why. Mm-hmm. So it's... Uh, I also just think of it as an 80s song. But anyway, Christopher Cross, he won. He's the only person until this la- until 2020 to win four Grammys for these the broad general categories of um, best album of the year, best record of the year, best song of the year, best newcomer of the year. It had never happened before mm. him in 1981, and it's only happened once since, and it was this year with Billie Eilish, who I actually don't really care for i haven't listened to a ton of her stuff but the really popular you gotta get on board with that george Uh, she's got a lot to offer it's too like carnival you know i think it's i I don't think i don't know i'll I'll give it a chance because a lot of people like it anyway christopher cross never be the same this is a song that's on one of the playlists that i listen have listened to the most this last year of of my life what's the name of the playlist it's called jason johnson favorite music (laughs) 2021 
It's so yacht rock. It really is. Cheesy. Listen to when his voice comes in, and you'll just... Everything's right in the world when you hear his voice. <laughs> everything's right in the world just with that little... Uh, what's that yeah. little percussion thing? Like yep. a wood block. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> now this isn't ironic. I love, I love music. I have a uh, a love for music that's somewhat cheesy sometimes if it hits me a certain way. Mm-hmm. And it, certain eighties music. So Lionel Richie, a lot of Lionel Richie. It, it feels that feels like it should be accompanying a really a really a generic show. montage scene in yeah. a bad eighties movie. Yes, or accompanying getting drilled at the dentist. <laughs> Either one. <laughs> Last time I got fillings, I requested that he play Christopher Cross I'll tell and you, Lionel Richie. <laughs> Jason, you, both of us, all of us have jobs. That I like aren't this always, album a lot. It's a great album. Sailing, Ride Like the Wind, great songs. So, in my commute home, this song comes on, and I just smile. And so, that's the best way I can What do you think Christopher it. Cross, like, what do you think his goal with making music was? Uh, chasing Joy. I mean, I guess. <laughs> no, do you know, but do you know it's interesting? Some of the stuff I read just last night when I was staying up too late to prepare for this. He, the MTV era was not kind to him. Let's just right. say, like, as soon as MTV was on the scene, and like he was, what happened in the eighties and what was cool in the eighties was not. Well, that, that, had to have been, like that had to have been adult contemporary. Yeah. This from was day adult one. contemporary. Like, that that yeah. song was never made for a teenager. Wasn't made for that. Yeah, ever in any era, that song was not made for a yeah. teenager. I think something. Uh, it might be that a lot of our younger listeners have hear, heard the song because of Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, like that. That movie, you know, kind mm. of introduced. Is this on that? Um, if it's not it, one of his, is for sure. It might be this one. Hmm. Um, but if it's not, it's the the genre of music fits in with Christopher Cross and, and uh-huh. you know Howard Johnson. Kind of ironically cheesy but soothing. That, did you just put Christopher Cross like, and Howard Johnson in the same genre? Uh, they're I mean they're different. They're definitely different. But there's like I a, think the only part that overlaps <laughs> in their in their Venn diagram is the characteristic of mediocrity. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I didn't mean Howard Johnson. I'm trying to think who else Howard is Jones who, or, uh, or what's his name? Uh, is it John, Howard Jones? Howard Jones. Howard Johnson. Howard Johnson is, is the hotel. Hotel, okay. hotel dude. This is how much I know about eighties music, right? Um, and he was a baseball player, right? Howard. Which one was the baseball player for the Mets? Didn't you collect baseball cards in the eighties? Come on, that was an eighties yeah. thing. Roger yeah. Walters. It was Howard Johnson. This is Howard Johnson, Howard Johnson for the yeah. Mets. Yeah. Didn't you have nineteen eighty eight tops cards? Yeah, sure. Yeah, eighty six tops. Uh, Howard Johnson. Yeah. We've, we've let's got get back on track. Okay. Go. All right. <laughs> so that's my pick. We can we can move on from. I like from I, I, I like don't that know what pick, Jason's saying. Mediocrity. I, I like that you pick yacht rock. Yeah, um, it's it's a thing. It had a weird resurgence. Yeah. Um, I can't decide. Thanks to Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, it, it feels Quest, like Questlove. Yeah, Questlove and Jimmy Fallon. It feels like much of the enjoyment of it is is involved somewhat ironically. Yeah, um, but I. I think people do feel good listening to it. I like it. There's something about like, uh, well, we were we watched Mr. Mom. Remember that movie? <laughs> oh, we watched yeah. Mr. Mom a few years ago with our kids, <laughs> and the beginning music. Well, it was it was like a song that was just for that movie, 
but it was totally in this vein. Michael Keaton making grilled cheese sandwiches with an iron. I loved the song. I was like, I want to get this soundtrack. There's something about the the the, the sound of yacht rock and like kind of overt. It's like earnest. You know what I mean? Because they're not making it. That's the word I was going to use. There's a weird purity to it. There's a where purity that you're just like, these guys don't care that they look like fools. And you know what? So, I, I don't want to try to look I get the awesome anymore if I am Cross. super cheesy. I don't cheesy. know about like Kenny Loggins and Doobie Brothers. and Yeah. Those guys. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm a fan. I, I like Steely Dan. I like the sound uh, of Michael McDonald's voice. Michael McDonald. Love it. <laughs> love it. Blue, you know, but, they used to call it Blue-Eyed Soul. Hollow Notes. Oh, Hollow Notes. I... I could have cro- Christopher Cross is not for- blue-eyed soul though. I think he overlaps. It's just pure I think adult he overlaps. contemporary. I think no, he overlaps. There is no like R and B or soul. He's got a great voice. I think he does. He does have a he, good voice. He can play that guitar. I think, he can. I think he overlaps. I mean, he, he doesn't. That's my choice. He doesn't I'm show sticking off, with it. There's got to be a Christopher Cross song, and you know, no, you could argue for sailing. It, it will balance uh, the scales once you, you. It'll balance the scales. I don't have of, any butt rock on my, my thing. None, none on mine either. <laughs> no, mine, but mine it, is fully, fully self-serving. I sat back and looked at this and said, "I am." Cutting out all the stuff that I can do without, and yeah. I'm just making the. I'm I, making my CD. I'm, I, well, let's hear your number one pick then. Oh, you want me? Yeah, let's hear it. Uh, all right. Um, I thought this would be a fairly obvious pick, and maybe it's even too cliche, but it's a freaking really good song. Um, it's a and it's I really like it. Um, I'll just jump right to a 1980 Joy Division level Terrace apart. It was released as a single. Um, Joy Division kind of tragically ended their their run early when their lead singer was it passed away Ian Curtis passed away and then they kind of reformed as New Order but um, I don't know fired up and then let's talk about it it's a super cool really fractured love song that Ian Curtis wrote after uh, having some marriage problems This one's such a. It, it, I go back to Joy Division more than I go back and revisit New Order. They're both really good and really important. Joy Division, in my opinion, was just super, super important. And I, I think I'm stating the obvious somewhat, but they were kind of this point where they were making newer sounding, experimental, um, electronic based music, but they brought in like some really dark emotional elements. And the way they delivered it, I think, kind of transformed and set the foundation for a lot of different directions music was going to go. And at the end of the day, I think they still did it better. Like, they did what they were good at better than just about anybody. They've still got a real drummer, Mm -hmm. sounds like, and guitars. Yeah. And then they're 
yeah. moving you can, into keyboards you, as well. Yeah, and so you can hear kind of that background piece. It's <clears throat> it's almost like computer music built around rock, and then just thematically, um, they dealt with some dark elements. This is this song is like simultaneously depressing and hopeful. It's like a willingness to en- engage in a relationship that you know is going to hurt and probably be destructive and i think that's somewhat representative i think real growth always not to get too philosophical but it always always requires some some piece of 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 destruction or or difficulty to to accompany kind of growth Hmm. and uh sounds kind of like christopher cross never be the same (laughs) i i think um i think when (laughs) ian curtis wrote this he was using Christopher Cross Never Be the Same to help template. out with the marriage problems that he was having. <laughs> this actually was written um, as a response to uh, a, a difficult time in his marriage, yeah. and he, he wrote it up, put yeah. it into music. You can definitely hear, I don't know, I mean, I know the name Joy Division more than I know this the song, but at listening to it, I can hear like, oh, I can hear the kind of blueprint or DNA for other 80s music. I don't listen to the, hearing it now out of context of kind of studying it and finding who mm-hmm. was first. And I don't hear it as a song that's like, oh, this song. And partially because I don't love that 80s aesthetic itself. Yeah. And so sometimes when I'm connected to a song that's an, a very 80s song like this, it's it's the nostalgia of hearing it back then. Right. Whereas some other stuff that's on my list that so it came I to. Would, yeah. like, I would definitely recommend, I'm, I'm overcritical of of the the 80s in general um i i don't love them as much as i feel like i should i would totally tell anybody to put um the two joy division albums they only recorded mm-hmm. two before curtis died yeah. uh, unknown pleasures and closer closer on their their list of stuff to check out they're they're really cool they're really important yeah for for me like i know joy division has a reputation of being uh really influential and tons of people like them uh but for whatever reason it's hasn't hasn't uh, resonated with me yeah. i i'm interested in his voice he's got a cool sounding voice i was going to say i think his voice is kind of weird to people yeah it's somewhat robotic and his cadence is is odd like it's not like an accent oh, and, it, and it's so low yeah um there's so few baritones out there you know mm-hmm. you got jim morrison you got this guy and that's about it Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ringo, you got Ringo. <laughs> you got the national, but like guy. especially with the yeah. the '80s yeah. stuff that came later, you know, they really value the the high tenor stuff. Yeah. Yep. So it's it's fun hearing a lower voice. Um, I, I think it's just the repetitiveness of of the drums and all all the other instrumentation seems so simple to me that it hasn't. Which drawn I think me kind of re-listen. became like a type within the eighties. That was yeah. that was definitely I think a, a common thing was that that simplicity of melody and yeah. just repetitive nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hear yours, Brandon. You've got a nineteen eighty? I do. Uh, I am I'm going with Talking Heads. Okay. From their their album Remain in Light. And this is my favorite song of the Talking Heads once in a lifetime. Yeah, uh, I love the the groove on this thing. Mm-hmm. The bass line is killer. Uh, David Byrne also a really interesting voice. Yeah, to me. Mm-hmm. Like, this this might be Remain in Light is probably at least a top twenty album all time for me. Maybe a top fifteen all time album for wow. me. Wow, yeah, that's high praise. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff on here, mm-hmm. and you know now listening to it, uh, how we're 40 years away. <laughs> Isn't yeah. that crazy? <laughs> 40 years ago. Um, like, it doesn't seem that odd. No, it but, still but works. reading about it, 
at the time that it came out, they said it was really difficult to record. There was lots of arguments amongst themselves about how things should sound. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of like people not knowing what to do with it after it came out. And it was like, whoa, what what kind of music is this? Um, So it's, it's pretty unique for that, that year and this time, but now 40 years later, it Mm -hmm. holds up so well. So here we go. Once in a lifetime from the talking heads. kind of voice that you would think that guy's going to go on to be a star Mm-mm. but it works with a beautiful wife and you may ask yourself guys are i think unique for the 80s where uh the lyrics are always really interesting um and and really cool arrangements i don't know a lot they're, of variety they're they they made they were making like complete art but mm-hmm. using music as their medium but they were very art oriented so even lyrically like when it's quirky mm-hmm. it's still quirky in an artistic way Weren't they uh, in like an art school in Rhode Island or something like that? Is that the? I don't know. The is that whole David legend. Byrne? I think. I mean, they, I know they came up through the the CBGB movement mm-hmm. in the in the late seventies through the the club there in New York, but I don't know if they. they it's, I wouldn't be surprised if they crossed yeah. paths through art school. They're one of my all time favorites. I think they're absolute geniuses. I'm going to talk more about on, them. on the chorus here. Are they all singing that, or is that David Byrne overdubbed lots of time? It, it's probably all. So their bass player, Tina, she has a good voice, and they would use her to do harmony stuff sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think the rhythm section is like historically really, as good really as good. any rhythm section ever. Yeah. Um, I had Born Under Punches from this same album on my honorable mention, mm-hmm. and listening to this, this is the right choice. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little bit jealous that you got it. I'll, I'll get a, a Talking Heads pick later for more personal reasons but that that song is i think it's brilliant it's i think amazing. it's timeless it's 1980 the crazy yeah, thing is wild. it still sounds innovative today yeah like if somebody made something that sounded like this today this good i would pause and be like this is unique yeah. Yeah. and they did this 40 years ago yeah. i think it's a testament to, to yeah. just how innovative and how creative they I, were i hear some like p-funk and i mean you hear so so much stuff but it's not derivative you just like that th- its own creature was kind of created i think from, they're similar to bowie in that regard yeah. they they drew from so many sources that. And like they, that that's one of the thing that i think has made it harder for me to really get into them um is similar to bowie it's yeah I feel an emotional distance from David Byrne. Like, he's yeah. keeping us, right. you know, <laughs> keeping I think us intentionally so. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, did but, you see him in a Mulaney's Netflix show, The Sack Lunch Bunch? Yes. He's funny. That's oh, great. Man. you got to check that out. Um, I, just last year, I finally saw David Byrne's movie. The... Uh, True Stories? True Stories. Oh, yeah, yeah. Have you seen True Stories? 
<laughs> so good. I need to, I need to watch I it again. It was, it's been a long time. I thought you were going to say Stop Making Sense. About they're, the kid, they're famous. The kid, like, the cult leader thing? or what, the, No, no. The this is... Um, so he made it in 1984, starring him. Uh, and it's a, a fictional thing, but it's about this town in Texas that's celebrating right. its 100-year yeah. anniversary yeah, or something yeah, yeah. like that. And so he's, like, visiting the town, and he's going to join in the the big talent show. So it's the original Waiting for Guffman? <laughs> kind of. It kind of is. And John Goodman's in it. Wow. And there's, uh, there's a few other... It, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's so it good. I thought you were going to reference... They have a famous um, uh, recorded concert uh, called Stop Making Sense. That's Which kind is of also great. Really mm-hmm. good, yeah. Uh, who directed that? The guy that did Silence of the Lambs. I think so. Yeah. It's based on um, his name. J- John, no... I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway, that's a great pick. Very good pick. I love it. I'm, love I'm it. all 100% Talking Heads. They have a run of like six albums that are absolutely indisputably good. Yeah. And and uh, Remain in Light is, I think, kind of their their generally considered kind of their their best work of genius. Mm. Um, good stuff. Who's next? I've got an 81. I've got two 81s. So I'll go. go I'll ahead. go first. So 81. Okay. So I'll just jump right into it. And this is a guy who takes a lot of flack. I think he could be considered one of the underrateds. He's not my pick, but it's... Um, and this song is very important for the 80s sound and this album. But it's Phil Collins, and the song mm-hmm. is In the Air Tonight. Oh, yeah. This... So the whole... Miami Vice! The whole noise gate, high reverb sound of the drums, it's basically a combination of two things. It's high reverb and then a noise gate... And where, which means it cuts off really quickly instead of letting some delay or echo. And it gets this weird, it's the 80s drum sound. That's the only way to think mm-hmm. of it. But, but uh, Phil Collins was the drummer for Genesis. And on one of their albums, I can't remember if it was a Genesis album or a Peter Gabriel album, they accidentally left one of the vocal mics on when they were doing some, recording some drums. And he and Peter Gabriel loved the sound of the drums it was like nothing they had ever heard it was meant for the the guy who was you know the engineer or whoever was talking back and forth to the control panel but picked up the drums and it had super high reverb and a high noise gate on and it was they decided to record the drums like that for that one peter gabriel song Mm -hmm. and then when phil collins did his album like the next year he used this kind of drum technique on every song and basically that was it for that drum sound of the 80s was came from this album Hmm. Um, but the song is in the air tonight. It's got that drum fill yeah. laid in it that we'll have Iconic to play to it. So we'll yeah. turn it on. We'll talk a little bit after it starts, and then we'll. Wait I, for that. I played the song for my kids, and we were on a road trip. And I was yeah. like, you know, we're taking yeah, yeah. turns choosing songs. And I'm like, oh, we got to do in the air tonight. Yeah, they they hadn't heard it before, and I'm like, just wait for this drum fill to come in. Yeah, but it takes like four minutes. <laughs> And they're like, that's a really long right. intro, Dad. It's a very long intro. <laughs> it is very long. Okay, so, so let's start it up. So we got some nice '80s ambiance here. I think Phil Collins too. He he's someone who Jason, as a music snob, which I have that part of me as well. You know, the music snobs have been unkind to him. It's like Peter Gabriel's the real thing. You know, it's kind of like early Chicago, early Genesis is good music, late. But I think it's gone so far the the backlash against Phil Collins that people kind of then he's become almost my, underrated. I, my favorite line from 
30 Rock yeah. show? Yeah, yeah. Somehow they're talking about thir- Phil Collins. Right. And they're they're asking uh, Alec Baldwin if he likes Phil Collins. Like, of course I do. I've got two ears and a heart. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I think he deserves a lot of the criticism he gets. <laughs> a lot of it. And I do love Peter Gabriel. Well, he's but. he's one that lyrically... He's uh, he has the same amount of subtlety that uh, Teddy, Teddy Pendergrass has. has. Yeah, but it's all about heartache. It's the I was gonna say. So so Gabriel is gonna be the critics' champ because he's he's like unquestionably a gifted artist. Yeah, and you don't think of artistry when you think of Phil Collins, but critics no. always are gonna favor like artistry, sure, sure, and like pushing the envelope and stuff. But but yeah, I think if it wasn't for the people kind of comparing phil collins to peter gabriel he probably wouldn't be as kind of maligned as he is which was naturally going to happen because they right. both fronted like a, right. a massive he band that transformed from a prog rock band into like a pop rock an band. 80s pop band right so yeah. this drum fill coming yeah, in yeah it's uh <laughs> i think it's at about the seven minute mark about a third of the way into seven the song to 30 let's just this episode will be dedicated to this song did you guys see when when quest love played it uh i can't remember if he played it as the drummer for phil collins on the tonight show did you see that Bands and artists that came after used that gated mm-hmm. effect even more and more and more. And then it just became that that's the sound of the 80s. It, I mean, yeah. that's one of the key sounds. There's synth and other stuff, but in terms of drums, that was one of the features. So this one's, a, this one's a cool pick to represent the 80s because... Um, so the, this was used in the first episode of Miami Vice, and I, I have the same affinity for TV that I have for music, TV and movie. I, I've freaking love it and i watched mm-hmm. from day one as a little child that should not have been watching it every episode of miami vice i would, I would watch him with my mom my mom Talk about <laughs> a killer theme song yeah so but this was this was in the this was in a scene so miami vice made yeah. by michael mann who later on makes like heat yeah. manhunter last of the mohicans he made this 80s series called miami vice and he filmed it like it was a movie and so visually it was unlike right. anything that had been on tv it was gritty it was, it gritty. was dark um and and thematically, Bikinis it was everywhere. Absolutely, it caught Miami. In the first episode, he used this song, yeah. and the song and the TV episode kind of simultaneously blew up and kind of mm-hmm. became inseparable. And they both became this massive part of of the eighties, kind right. of the just the historic how we remember the eighties. And and Phil Collins was right at the center of that. Like he is a great choice simply because it's almost inseparable from the 80s it's, as a decade. It's interesting because, as you described, Miami Vice as gritty. And in this Phil Collins song, this isn't super poppy song at all. It's dark. It's ambient. But but then you when you go back and look at it, like you look at the skinny ties and white suits and pink mm-hmm. you know pastel ties, and you, you hear a lot of Phil Collins. You know, so much of the 80s stuff gets filtered by how you look at it 10 years later if you're growing up in the 90s more right. and everything's cheesy. But, uh, Listen to this yeah. song, it feels kind of like watching Good, the Bad, and the Ugly to me. Mm-hmm. Like it's so long, it's so drawn out. 
Right. And then it finally gets to that showdown at the end, and mm-hmm. the the music builds and builds, right. and it's kind of like when when that drum comes in, and then the bass, like yeah. whoa, this is yeah. I have been waiting. It pays for this. off. It's good. It pays so off. I, I can personally, I can do without Phil Collins, um, but big I, surprise. I, I really yeah. like Miami Vice, <laughs> and the, the song makes me think of Miami Vice. So I'm like, nice. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. What's your eighty one, Jason? Oh, my turn again. Um, yeah. All right. So this one has a connection. I actually ended up having, I tapped into the big fountain um, of the Talking Heads twice, once indirectly and once directly for my list. So Tom this, Tom Club? This is my indirect one. This is going to be the Tom Tom Club, um, Genius of Love, 1981, oh, so off of their. Uh, self-titled album and so this was a side project for um for the it's oh tina weymouth and bass player and drummer tina weymouth and chris france bass player and drummer of the talking heads i think one of the best rhythm sections of all time they're 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 married still today um and they they made this side project during the 80s called the tom tom club and they made dance music and this is one of the most sampled songs ever. I checked. There's a. It's been sampled in over 152 different songs, wow. hip hop, R and B. One of the most sampled songs from the decade, and so it became. It's just a dance song. It's a simple dance song, but it's so catchy. It became this ingredient that hundreds, literally hundreds of other artists have used in the art that they would create. So I figured this is a, a really important piece worth preserving. I was playing this in my classroom last week because mm-hmm. it was in consideration for me. And I had multiple students ask me who it was. Like, this is fire, Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> because it is. Yeah. It's lit. It's fire. What you going to do when you get out of jail? It, <laughs> I'm going to have some fun. <laughs> it's so infectious. Yeah. Like, I've... I've so I do, I do trainings throughout the country, and this is on my list of, like bumper music while i'm getting ready to go uh-huh. without fail this is the one that always like unifies people and you see heads bouncing and people smiling <laughs> and people going oh yeah this one so tina weymouth on the bass this chris friends nice. on the drums and they're so i i think they have as cl- like you hear per- perfect pitch i think they have perfect timing i think they have metronomes inside their yeah. bodies that make such perfect timing who else is doing that that stuff uh let's see you're gonna have or are they doing all of it no they've got you know i i recognize this song from like the samples i don't recognize this song as itself like i feel like i've never listened to this song yeah. and why is that was it not so because Tom Tom Club, yeah, Tom Tom Club never had like a, a mainstream yeah. moment. They were it was like club music, so right. you would hear this in a dance club, and then like Mariah Carey sampled it, right, Grandmaster right. Flash and the Furious yep. Five sampled it. I've heard it. it from both of them. It's really good. I love all the okay. other sound because you got the one keyboard that's doing like the melody mm-hmm. line, like that that one, but then all these other little weird sounds going during the verse. It's just it's yeah, like really the perfect creative. It's got a bounce to it. Yeah. It's got a nice bounce to it. Uh what else have like is, do they have other albums? What's their I career like? I think they have two albums for sure. They may have done more. They had I think two main albums that So it was just a little brief. No, I'm side just looking right now. They had they 
released stuff all the way into the early 2000s. Oh, really? There are two main ones that, like, actually, it looks like the other ones are going to be more compilations. So self-titled that this one's off of in 81. Another one called Close to the Bone in 83. And then in 88, Boom Boom, mm-hmm. Boom Boom. Um, their first two are the, I think the main ones worth checking out and it's just a collection of dance music, but it's there. It's, it's so infectious. They, they're so good with rhythm and with timing. Um, it's just great music to kind of lose yourself in. They're not trying to say anything in particular. They don't have any deep message, um, pretty simple lyrics, but they're just communicating. They just, they want to make people like bounce in unison and they they do it really, really effectively. Great pick. Okay, George. You had another 81? I do. So my other 81 is... I just had to open back up my little spreadsheet here. And Come on, George. Is, get with the game. Okay, so this one is a great one. I, I've got it as 81. I'm surprised you guys don't have something from this. But it's uh, it's the song from The Clash. And it's Should I Stay or Should I Go? And this is one that I did listen to a lot at that time. My brother had the album, and so this was my favorite song from the album, and I would love to put this on repeat and listen to it. Um, from the album Combat Rock. That's Combat right, Rock. Combat Rock. It says 82 for, for this, but so I'll maybe, trust you. Maybe it is an 82. Uh, but Or maybe it was a single that came out earlier. Yeah, I've got it on here as 81 for some reason. Also, Rock the Casbah is on this album. Yes, those are the two songs that okay. you know that that were my pick between those two, but this one's my favorite for sure. Darling, you got to let me know. Should I stay or should I go? If you say that you are mine, I'll be here till the end of One of my sad moments yeah. was having to cut them. This this song to me back then and still now, one of the things that appeals to me the most about it is the space. You know, that's what I love about James Brown and funk music. There's so much space. Like each instrument is doing something quite simple. And there's something about the confidence to allow there to be space. And that wasn't, in a lot of 80s music, there wasn't that. There was I, a lot so of I was super bummed out. I have, every time I do this, I draw a picture of a headstone and list the bands that I wasn't able to include. And The Clash are on my list. I was so heartbroken yeah, that I didn't get to include them. Because I still listen to The Clash today. I think mm-hmm. that space comes a little bit natural. Like They didn't really know how to play their instruments mm-hmm. when they started. They were kind of They're the, the typical kind the of fly, punk, punk band, but right? But they had they a lot started. to say. They were they were really thoughtful, yeah. uh, intelligent, had a lot to say, and were commenting on what was going on around them. This is probably their most pop song like yeah. that has the least to say. Right. I mean, when, it, when you buy an original copy of London Calling, it has... Like pre parental advisory, it has an advisory yeah. that the content is concerning, that was and it's thing. not even like a yeah. it's not even like a vulgar record. It was but just it's talking about heavy things, yeah. and it has a couple of live points where you hear like a swear or two. Yeah. But it was so it was really jarring at the yeah. time. Like London Calling really set people off. What, so I, I found a quote from Henry Rollins about the Clash, and he said, um, "The band U two wishes they could be." I, lo- it's, I love that quote. Yeah. I've, I've used it in arguments. U2 wishes they could be The Clash. Yeah, he, yeah, that's what he said about The Clash. He said, The Clash are the band that U2 wishes they could and, be. And Bono, yeah. Bono actually doesn't dispute that. He's, he's yeah. on the record saying that they were trying to be The Clash. Right. Um, 
Because they, The Clash had something to say, and you two right. wanted to catch that, but they did it in a catchy way. They had space, and they made songs that were catchy. Like, even a song like London Calling, which is a kind of a dark reflection on heavy things mm-hmm. that are going on, it has this catchy, like, you catch yourself bouncing right. your head to it. Yeah. So, and it seems like punk was already kind of getting stale in the sense of it was becoming its own cliche, and The Clash were able to come from that scene but but morph and do different things they were smart too though they were bringing in elements yeah. of reggae and dance right that's like the, in a, the thing in they, a really, they were able to to morph and a not really stick authentic to like way. A, a stereotype yeah. of punk um they had a, a nice moment in stranger things episode or season one as well this song was a uh, kind of pivotal in a couple scenes where that's they're right i they're forgot about that. searching for <laughs> for will Byers. so some of the younger generation might uh are thousands of teen listeners. <laughs> so while I was... Aware of this. I love The Clash. I love, love, love The Clash. While I was digging around in, uh, in my research, I'm trying to find which... L- London Calling might be one of my all-time favorite album covers. It, I think it's, oh. it's so cool. It's so representative of rock and roll. He's smashing his guitar at uh-huh. the concert. Yeah. So Rolling Stone, for their... Uh, their 100 best albums of the 80s. They put The Clash London Calling at number one, mm-hmm. which surprised me. I've, I, I don't think I've ever listened to that album. I only know The Clash good. from the, I can't those two fully singles. disagree. It's a double album. I, so I had it, it was so that was one I almost picked in the 70s. It was released in England in the United Kingdom in the 79, and then in America in the in 1980. London Calling was mm-hmm. double album. Really unusual in a lot of ways as far as like the punk aesthetic goes and it has a ton to say but start to finish it's cool the, the clash is a, just a great very band. influential on, yeah. on the other bands that came after too so were, right. would you say they're like the nirvana of their time like i think that's not a like really uh, simple unfair, songs yeah but, uh, powerful simple kind of shaped shaped some of the aesthetic they for were the, for way the rock music they were way more politically them. savvy or at least politically outspoken than nirvana yeah. like they weren't just speaking um authentic tales of the heart they were really they, it was like cnn like I learned more about the world through the Clash and Public Enemy than I did through a history book or the news. Like mm-hmm. I would, I would hear reference points and then go explore that. Like that was my that was my CNN right. as a young kid. And Nirvana were, never tapped into anything remotely yeah. like that. But I think if, if not debating on whether they were political or not, but it, the impact they had culturally mm-hmm. and on the youth culture and on the kind of rock and roll bands that came after them i think that's a fair and through the uh it's nice that they came at the beginning of the decade too through the kind of songs that anyone listening to it think i could play that yeah give me five minutes i can learn that song so i had that simple do-it-yourself aesthetic like a a kid would listen to it say they've got something to say and i could probably play that like Mm -hmm. any kid could could learn to play should i stay or should i go Mm -hmm. in fact Mm -hmm. that i would imagine for a like people our age that was absolutely mm-hmm. a riff you would learn when you're when you were picking right. up the guitar yeah yes cool. that's pick. mine yeah, yeah i'm super oh, i'm so irritated i wanted to have the clash so bad and i'm now i'm second guessing but you know what you preserved him for me so yeah. it's on there uh okay are we on to 82 we're on to 82 yeah i've got an 82 
As do I. As do I. I'll go I'll, last. I'll wonder, go first. I wonder if it's from the same album. It might be. I'm guessing you guys know more about this uh, this artist or group than I do. Um, but uh, I knew I knew I needed to include something from this genre of of early hip hop, and uh, Grandmaster Flash does it for me. You're gonna go nice. with the message. The message, yeah. Nice. So it's the single most important hip hop song of all time. Is I did. It? I didn't include it, but it. I yeah. didn't. I have a different hip hop no. song, but I'm glad. So I'm glad you included um, this. And this this one stands out to me. Like I I'll, when when was Run DMC doing their things? This same so, time period, or they overlap? But they they got kind of big slightly during, but slightly after mm-hmm. this. This and I've I've heard a fair amount of Sugar Hill Gang and. Who's the one that does Sugar Apache? H- yeah, is that Sugar Hill Gang. Um, Apache was that might be Grandmaster Flash. Yeah, Sugar Grand Hill Master Gang Flash. is kind of weird. Like they they were, they were kind of like a boy band in a way. Yeah, they in weren't. They're not really accepted in the in the pure. Well, they were they were so whatever. impactful though. So people back then they opened the door they opened for the stuff door. to get played on the radio. But the, yeah. this one stands out to me because it's got a killer beat to it. Yeah, some great samples. Um, I love their their voices on this, and um, as as far as I can tell, this is like breaking new ground in talking about like everyday life, yeah. their actual situation, political. You, you nailed not, it. Not just about like how how awesome their rhymes are. Yeah, you mm-hmm. you nailed it. The reason I didn't pick it, and when you hit play, uh, forty seconds in, there's a problematic lyric. There's like one flaw in the song that just doesn't translate into 2020. Mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll talk about the importance of the song itself after. Yeah. But this song is so dang great good. Song. And you got to make sure you get the ha 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 yep. with it. His other big long, hit, long it's, it's nasty sampled Genius of Love by the Tom Tom Club. Mm. Mm. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. People pissing on the stage, you know they just don't care I can't take the smell, can't take the noise Got no money to move out, I guess I got no choice Rats in the front room, roaches in the back Junkies in the alley with the baseball bat I tried to get away, but I couldn't get far Cause a man with the touch truck repossessed my car Don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep it going. Oh, so good. Standing on the front stoop, hanging out the window, watching. All yeah, so this one changed everything. This one changed the game because it told an honest story of a of a group of a a large large population that wasn't being told, and it was being told honestly from their point of view. And so it kind of opened doors for for hip hop as a form to really do 
things that it hadn't done before. This was no longer about dance music. This was now giving voice to a people. And production-wise, it's still like 2020. Production-wise, it still stands the test of time. You yeah. listen to it, yeah. and it kind of it was funny. We all sat there in silence, and your head's bouncing like it gets in your head from a groove standpoint. But you're, it's called the message. You're listening yeah. to the message. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the thing that's interesting to me is clearly like a, a very important point in hip hop and in music itself. When you when you watch like the video of this, if you didn't know, if you're you know, you see them, and you're like these guys are because they're kind of dressed like the YMCA, like mm-hmm. the village people, you know. And so it's like what? But that's how early it came. It was the disco era, and it the was kind of like if you go back and listen, it, was still have happy. you guys watched the Warriors? Yeah. I assume. Yeah, yeah. Go back and watch the War. Oh man, go back and watch see the Warriors. You gotta it's see that. Late seventies, early eighties, yeah. about like a, about a gang war kind in New York, apocalyptic uh-huh. and the war. gangs. Like it's almost comical it's how the silly. gangs look. It's very you have the baseball furies. You have a gang on roller skates. Right. It's like the seventies wasn't quite. But that's kind of how these. That's how they dress. This right. Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. That was the era, and that, that yeah. was not associated with camp. It was associated with like right. hardcore. Um, and no, this song changed everything. Like it was a monumental shift, and and hip hop, which eventually becomes the most influential genre of music. Genre. Fully. Mm-hmm. Genre. <laughs> fully shifted. At this moment, yeah. Well, and and I think uh, so. I didn't pick this one for hip hop. I picked a band, a group that comes later, and we'll talk about them later. But but it's interesting to note in these different kind of genre explosion movements that genre the way <laughs> the way that clothing and fashion and the col- is so wrapped up in the culture. When you think back to punk and people, everyone wearing black and mohawks and all that stuff, well, that, and then that got a, played out. It's kind of a thing throughout the whole eighties, right? Like, not only does it have this kind of distinctive sound with all the electronic yeah. synthesizers and the, the gated drums, but people were trying really hard to look ridiculous. Yeah. But but it, I think it's, I think <laughs> it, it's in the like 70s that's, and that's 90s, they had to do too. To, it's to just look cool. it, shifts, it shifts from we've got to look like we don't care at all. Or we got to look totally right. natural. To, right. We've got to look like we care, and yeah. that, and we do care. We have to spend hours but making our hair. I think stick fashion is important in the, in music on. throughout. But the, the I, I think it was groundbreaking. But in some ways, I would argue that this song wasn't as groundbreaking in hip hop as some of the ones that came later. That that were even the ones that maybe aren't as critically. Like some of the ones that made it commercially, so, yeah. So from viable. a from an innovation of sound standpoint, yeah. I one hundred percent agree. Yeah. From a messaging right. standpoint and a voice, like to a, a political voice, right? Then this was yeah. this was fully groundbreaking. But all the stuff that came after never would have happened if yeah, this, if this true. didn't happen. I mean, you've got Curtis Blow who has a similar cadence and yeah. stuff in the breaks, and but this was way more political. Like, so like the Sugar Hill Gang. Rapper's Delight was a disco song. It right. was a disco song that made mainstream a kind of a voice that hadn't been given. But it was a disco song for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. And this just it's had a catchy everything. hook. So the so the hip hop group I have is Run DMC, and I just picked my favorite song of theirs from the eighties. But we'll get to that later. But they they that's their whole aesthetic of how how they dressed, how they presented themselves. I think that's the group that really exploded hip hop. Um, but we'll we'll move on. Who's who's okay. next? Eighty two. Uh, I've got an eighty two. You've got an eighty two. 
That was it? That was Brandon's. Then you oh. got one, and then I've got one. Okay, yeah. Uh, this one, I went back and forth, and I thought, there's no way I can't not include this. It's from the biggest selling album of all time. To not include it seems like it would be a crime. But, but which song? Uh, Billie Jean. Okay. By, uh, by Michael Jackson off the Thriller album. Um, lyrically, when you listen to it, it's so damn weird. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so <laughs> odd. A lot of the songs on this album are... It is, <laughs> but it's like it's, I, yeah. I so listen this to Billy Jean, listen to Beat It, and like we're a pretty young thing. Like, what is so what's weird. What's he singing about? <laughs> yeah, well, especially in context. But, He's an odd guy. But um, this song is like from a, especially more so now that we know. From yeah. a production standpoint, when you combine Michael Jackson at the peak of his powers with mm-hmm. Quincy Jones Quincy at the Jones. peak of his powers, and you put the like this song, it's a great will, song. will be a cool song that makes people want to dance forever. There will yeah. never be a time that this song is not relevant. So everybody's heard and, it. And this is, I think, what we we're talking about with like quintessential eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like this. This really so this like that. and Just and this catchy pop song dynamite yeah. production value and we I talked a little bit before this is where people are now becoming a brand this is the thing now where Michael Jackson becomes one of the biggest celebrities on the, on the globe he is now officially a global icon anywhere in the world he's going to be recognized as Michael Jackson right. and attached to this music yep. yep Billie Jean here we go. different from off the wall yeah yeah it's like everything's hitting harder yeah yeah for sure it's interesting that first drum and bass i was listening i was like this could have come in as oingo boingo this could like it actually sounds exactly like a clash drum track at the very yeah. beginning i'm i'm suspicious that it actually was copied from it well there was such an 80s sound where everything was where you had pop and punk and r&b and soul like sounding like each other in different ways yeah. it's so this was just a movement movement it yeah. transcended race it transcended everything it, it was just a massive massive yeah. piece um <laughs> lyrically it's so weird i had no idea what it was about until like 10 years ago and it's basically about a groupie that's try, trying yeah. to convince michael jackson that he's the father of her child yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so when he says like yeah you didn't catch that from just listening to it? <laughs> when I was a kid, I thought it was like about a love story or something. I had no idea. It's so weird. The kid is not my son. Yeah. He's like, again, <laughs> he does no, have. I knew that uh, from the beginning. No nuance. No, he's got a theme of paranoia that goes throughout he, his career. He really yeah. does. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of sadly so, knowing the history of how he grew up. But yeah, yeah no nuance. I, like, I was trying to find this. What's he really saying, though? No, he's being very literal. He's yeah. saying, this, this I'm not, not the not father mine. of this child. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, he also went on to do Man in the Mirror. <laughs> he had some self-reflective moments. He did. But the song itself, production-wise, sound-wise, it is transcendent. It's, it's this it's this album's song. got a little of everything on it. It does. Yeah. Like, talk about a... a I don't know what the word is. Yeah. So <laughs> grab bag. I mean, you got want to be starting something. Yeah. 
kind of kind of more of a, a groove kind of thing. You got uh, "Baby Be Mine," which feels that one feels more like it could have been on "Off the Wall." Yeah, yeah. Uh, like got that really cool bass line. You got the duet with Paul McCartney. Yeah, yeah. The one of the silliest. I mean, Michael Jackson's got a lot of silly <laughs> songs, but yeah, I still I have a soft it. spot for that one. I, I love it. I love, <laughs> I love it the too. two of them together. I love it. The song is yeah. so stupid, but yeah. <laughs> and then. Yeah. Thriller of all the oddball number one hits, a song yeah. with Vincent Price in it. Right. With Vincent Price about a horror movie that's like eight minutes long. It doesn't make any sense, but yeah. it did. But it again, it was it was the power. Well, of there's that something about this team. the some of the '80s music that for some reason I was thinking of Oingo Boingo when I first because there's like a spookiness to like some of '80s pop music where there's like yeah. we're gonna bring this weird kind of lurching beat <laughs> and a spooky kind of like minor chords, but it's poppy and dancey. And I think that's one of the things too that to me, it's like the '70s driving stuff like off the wall there's more of a funk there's more syncopation rather than just mm-hmm. boom crap, boom crap. yeah there's more syncopation did, uh, there's more backbeat stuff so did either of you have a song from this album on your list you know, I, I, I had took to it off. cut it yeah. last minute I, I mostly want, because uh he's 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 my overrated of the decade wild wildly influential he's my overrated spoiler, of the decade spoiler wildly spoiler. influential but i just don't listen to it enough yeah. for me to Included. So I, I don't listen to a lot of Michael Jackson today, but yeah. every time I went back, like I, I don't, songs. I don't want to skip this song when I put it in my yeah. playlist. And it, again, the biggest selling album of all time. Like I, yeah, I yes. think Hugely, it has to be important. recognized at some level. And I'm shocked. I figured at least yeah. one of you would have something from well, this album. I really do this. I was, I was he this was uh, spoiler alert. He was my choice for champ of the decade. And by the end of Why last are you night, spoiling all this right now because George, we got to give the, the people end. something. Okay, Jeez. cut it out. <laughs> this tune, this will be six stay hours. Stay tuned from now. for mine and Jason's right decade champs. We'll say I took for him. The I took but him in the, the meantime. Decade champ to go coach a game. I That's guess. Right. In the meantime, <laughs> I'm going to let you know what my next six picks are too. Right. <laughs> no, he, he. How many decade? How many albums did he do in the '80s? Only two. Two albums. But I they're love the his, two best-selling albums his, of all time. I love his 70s stuff. I do skip his 80s stuff. It's yeah. not, I don't think it's bad. I, I like Off the Wall I just, the best. I just like his Jackson 5 yeah. and his 70s stuff. And it's, I, think he's, I, I think he deserves to be thought of as one of the best. I didn't realize he had more albums before Off the Wall. Solo albums. Yeah. I thought that was his yeah. first one, but it's his fifth, right. I think. Yeah. Right, and it, I was surprised. I thought he had way more albums than two in the eighties. Prince had nine. Prince was Prince had nine albums prolific, in the eighties. Prince 80s. probably has t- fifty albums recorded that he right. never released. He's, he's much he's more like, self satisfied than Michael Jackson. Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, I'll, I'll stop with the spoilers, but but yeah, <laughs> Michael. Michael was too nervous about. I mean, think about releasing Thriller and then having to follow that up. Like he was, he was freaked out. <laughs> the, to me, the well, '80s well, is a weird zeitgeist. So, like, plus, plus he became a full entertainer at that yeah. point. Like, he, it wasn't like he was out of the public eye. He was still yeah. doing stuff. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He wrote "Where of the World." That's true. Two years. No, after he this. was doing a lot of stuff. He was, yeah. He but was the, being the king. This of is pop. also a good example of probably what's one of the harder things about the '80s for me, especially the drums. I think so many songs have. It's either drum tracks yeah you know uh or maybe this is a real drummer but even the real drummers you can't sound tell. like a like yeah. drum machine it, it could just be a garage band loop that's just right. playing the whole song like there's no variety that was the there's aesthetic. no fills there's yeah. no backbeat there's 
to right. just feel and every song like that be, i think because of the robotic nature of the drums it uh-huh. loses some which is interesting i guess if you think about it it makes sense dance music was getting huge people yeah. were making dance songs you can't really have a drum fill in a dance song yeah right but I mean, it was just part of the aesthetic of, of a driving, driving beat in the 80s, kind of a... And I, I felt the same the, the one and only time I went to a, a rave back in college. <laughs> yeah. Like, people dance to this all night long. Right. <laughs> like, right. come on, give me, give me some variety. So When's the podcast? I, it's a good pick. About you at the rave. <laughs> when are we recording that episode? Tune in this next is, week. This for is the only <laughs> mention it's ever going to get. Adventures with Come Brandon. On, Raving with Brandon. I'll, I'll say this about it. One of the kids that came to the rave with, that I worked with, he, he was a cook at the Galaxy Diner. <laughs> I was a dishwasher. <laughs> so there was like five of us that went to this rave together. And they. this was my only one and only time. They... Uh, the rest of them all had plenty of experience. Um, but we, So we leave work that day, and he has this bottle of bleach. <laughs> what? It wasn't, it wasn't bleach in there, but it was a bleach bottle yeah. from, that we used for cleaning the drains on the floor at Galaxy Diner. So I don't know what was in it, but he was drinking stuff out of that bleach <laughs> bottle. And then on the way this, home... This is the content I come for. On the way That's home true. from the rave, we had to pull over so he could throw up on the road. Oh, bleach will do that to you. Yeah, she. It'll also take care of those tapeworms. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, I've got a 1982. This is kind of a deep cut, but it's it's a great song. This is another one that I heard a lot in my youth, and I still love it. Um, 1982 artist is Yaz or Yazoo, and the song is Only You. Kind of a synth pop techno love. The band ballad. that Vince Clark left Depeche Mode for. This is correct. Okay, what's the song called? Only you. Only you. There's a few from this album called Upstairs at Eric's that I think is one of the, my favorite '80s albums. something about the uh, just that melody of the chorus that sounds like a Everly Brothers song. Interesting, yeah. I, I, I just thought of it just now. I like that. I, I can hear that. Yeah, so Yaz and this album, my si- my oldest sister had this album, and so I heard this a lot growing mm. up, and I always was kind of intrigued by the voice. I was always kind of like, is this a female or a male? You know, she's got this deep voice. Um, and then it's a, it's an album that I still listen to, and my wife loves it too. She had this album. Growing I know up, a so lot of people lot. that are my age or slightly older that love Yaz. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never done it for me. Mm-hmm. It, it's like a sound that's never worked for me. It's, so it's not a sound I preserved right. on my my list of ten. Yeah, but I know it's it's always perplexed me because I know a lot of people that really really like Yaz. Yeah. 
And I well, don't know how much of it is nostalgia and how much of it is the, the specific to right. the sound. Is it the? I've I've never listened to, to me. Them. It's like I've never gotten into really Depeche Mode or a lot of the synth pop. Um, Depeche, I was deep into Depeche. But I, if I would have heard it more, maybe I would have. But yes, I was. <laughs> I was. Uh, I heard a lot, and it's the synth pop that when I hear it, I'm like, yeah, I'll listen to this. The this album or the song sounds a lot like. Depeche Mode's first album, yeah. the one that Vince Clark was on. Right. So that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so Depeche maybe Mode I would like Depeche Mode's first song. Or they first started album. using minor, minor chords. Yeah. <laughs> this album, I'd give Probably it a try. Probably because they listened to a Joy Division album. This, this album has a lot of different... It's not like every song sounds the same. Every song uh-huh. has the same instruments. But there's, there's a lot of different... Are there actual instruments? The song. Well, you know what I mean. The, song, the same sound palette... But the but tempos and Moye, the way the, the songs singer, are created. She's got a cool voice. She does. She yeah. Sounds a lot like uh, what's the Eurythmics lady? Uh, Annie, Lennox. Annie Lennox. I love Annie Lennox. She didn't make my top ten Eurythmics or her, but she she's on my honorable mention for sure. I have a lot of we all probably all have a ton of honorable mentions yeah. for the eighties. But anyway, Yaz, great album upstairs at Eric's. Uh, I think it was critically acclaimed. I think, but I don't think they did uh, too many other albums. I actually don't know that. I'm just kind of talking out of my, you know, whatever. So who's next? Who's up? Uh, I got a. I got an 83. Let's hear it. I don't. Does anybody else? Have I an have. 83? I have an 83. All right, my 83 is my actual Talking Heads one. Um, if I'm being fully honest, "Remain in Light" is the superior album, and the song that Brandon picked, or even "Born Under Punch," is probably a slightly better song. This than the one I picked, but this one is my favorite, personal favorite Talking Heads song. So this is the one that I will want to preserve. It's off an album called "Speaking in Tongues," and the song is "This Must Be the Place." Naive melody. Um, and it's my favorite Talking Heads song because I feel like it's their most earnest. You know, Brandon, you talked about how they're similar to Bowie in that Burn is kind of intentionally evasive. Mm-hmm. Like, there's always feels like there's a little bit of distance between mm-hmm. him and the listener. It's like he's wearing a big suit with giant mm-hmm. shoulder pads yeah. or something. <laughs> metaphoric <laughs> with giant metaphoric shoulders. Yeah. This is them. I feel like at their most accessible. This is a love song, and it's just simple statements. It's a baseline that never varies. That's why it's called naive melody because the the rhythm section never varies, never changes anything up. But somehow it's so earnest. And this one just makes me. This is like my most feel good song. This for me is a song I still listen to. Like if I'm bummed out or something, whatever. Like I can go to this one and just feel good. It makes me feel home. Like somehow it makes makes me feel home which is like I, I guess the first line of the song it's your christopher cross it's my christopher cross <laughs> this but, must be the place by the talking heads fills in here come on guy <laughs> you're like 10 seconds into the song what do you need a drum fill for already it's the 80s you're not gonna get it <laughs> 
I already have goosebumps on my arms. This one just does it for me. It's nice. But then when Burns sings, like I said, it's it's him at his most accessible. Love the harmonies on Yeah. Very nice. It is. It's so simple. It's yeah. a pure, simple love song, and I love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like I, this one. I've I, this and this album also has "Burning Down the House." Yeah, is that their biggest hit? Mm. It's the one that I think I, I was thought most the one familiar you, with. You played was growing up. That's a good so? question. I don't yeah. know what their biggest hit would be. I mean, they had a lot of stuff that got yeah. used in like movies. Yeah. At least I know, like, as a kid growing up yeah. in the 80s, I heard Burning Down the House a lot. Also a great song. Um, Good pick. Okay, Good cool. pick, Jason. All right, I've got a 1983. This is from one of my, my one of my favorite artists. He's not quite a, a top... He's got some top 40 stuff, but he's he's kind of always stayed on the fringes. People know of him, but it's Elvis Costello. Um, this, this is from his eighth album. Which I didn't realize he re- released three albums yeah, in the seventies. He was on my on- prolific. Yeah, he was on yeah. my honorable mention in the seventies. So nineteen eighty three, he released his eighth album, which was a surprise to me. But the song I'm picking is true to the kind of eighties aesthetic. I'm choosing his first U.S. top forty song, which is a song I love. It's a song he says he wrote in ten minutes as kind of a challenge to himself to try to write a formulaic, catchy song, and he wrote it and he loved it and he and he they they did it. It's called Every Day I Write the Book. I like the bass in this song. Yeah. He's another one that you, you hear that voice and you're like, that guy's not going to make it. Yep. <laughs> but, but he was but he just does, yeah. cool, yeah. Dig it. I don't think I've ever heard this one. It's clever. He goes through the chapters of the book. So my thing, I really like Elvis Costello. My thing with him is I don't have a single Elvis Costello album that I thoroughly enjoy listening to start to yeah. finish yeah. but every one of his albums has at least one or two songs like this on it that are really yeah. really really good same he's great for playlists yes like i don't i don't go through albums there's one album that i go through the whole thing but it's him and burt Bacharach mm. from like ni- 1999 called painted from memory it's an amazing album every song there's amazing but it's burt Bacharach and him Mostly, I think, written by Burt Bacharach yeah. and then collaboration. But if you listen to his yeah. like early stuff where he was associated with punk and ska, Elvis Costello and the Attractions, yeah, 
He doesn't have, for me, he doesn't have that transcendent album, mm-hmm. um, but he's got some great, great songs yeah. mm-hmm. all throughout. A playlist of, of Elvis Costello, best his best songs, would do you well. It's a, yeah, it's, he's I got agree. some great stuff. And really unique, too. There's no yeah. one... He's got just his own sound. He's got his own thing. I mean, he was part of the whole, you know, it's new wave, post-punk, ska, you know, wearing suits, black suits with a skinny tie and, mm-hmm. you know. And, when, and the, well, he looked know. like Buddy Holly, like yeah. reincarnated. Right. It, it was that, what's the name of his album cover where he's got that famous, like, guitar pose uh, in his yeah, suit. I can't remember he's it. He's got, like, um, a yellow background. And he had his band, the, the Attractions, Elvis Costello and the Attractions. He had a, fa- a kind of infamous moment on Saturday Night Live where they didn't want him to play a certain song. Yeah. And, and he played, he played it, it anyway. anyway. <laughs> and they cut it, and they never invited him back. Yeah. Like this kind of big, kind yep. of stick it to the man moment where Saturday Night Live was the man, which yeah. is which is totally <laughs> punk rock. And like I yeah. think those moments like add to the mythos of, yes. of Elvis Costello. Yeah. But he's been this fe- figure, this feature in music yeah. that has been very prolific. He's written way more stuff than people realize. He's recorded with artists in almost every genre. He did Alan Toussaint, right? Yeah. Did you see that? He, yes, that was after he's, the Burt Bacharach album. Well, and then he did like he was he did Nina Simone stuff yeah. like. He's he's all over. He's really important to music. Yeah. Um, never necessarily like on the forefront, being the face of music or the right. face of a of a moment or a, how do you say it? Je, je, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Did I say it wrong? Genre. Never being the face <laughs> of of anything like that, yeah. but always just kind of there in the background, right. making it right. making it kind of always credible. Better. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So good stuff. Um, Love his stuff. I mean, a version of him that became more poppy, and I wouldn't even say a version of him, but but like Huey Lewis was kind of, and like other people like came along, and they became. I'm not comparing them. I'm saying. What are you shaking your head? I'm for saying this? I think Huey Lewis wanted to be like Elvis Costello. I've actually read something from him where he uh, he was like, I was really disappointed when I got popular because I thought I was better than that. <laughs> that was Huey Lewis. So right when he became really a top forty guy, he was like bummed out. You know, I got to start writing such catchy tunes. Because like, these other like we're, like, we're already giving too much too much time, um, to, time Huey to Huey Lewis. <laughs> but Hu- Huey Lewis has a really good voice. I don't. I just don't know what he was ever trying no. to do or say. Well, the, the point he, isn't that Huey Lewis is great or anything. It's that the eighties was this this gra- you know black hole of pop pop music, and some of the the best. Talking Heads, they were all trying to do pop mute, like catchy stuff, but they were they had art, they had substance, right. they had a weirdness, innovativeness to them, and Elvis Costello too. But others would just like, yeah, I'm going to do the cool poppy thing and be underground, like kind of cool pop. But they would, if they, you know, they got sucked into the nope, we're going to put you on the top forty. The and you're vapid, gonna, the vapid yeah. uh, space that it was pop music with <laughs> right. nothing to say. Yeah. Okay, another yep, eighty three. Yep. Um, done with my 83. I don't have any other 83s. I've got an 84. So do I. You want to go? Should I go on. next? Oh, do you have an 84, it. Jordan? Uh, no. I have two of them. Jor- Jordan. <clears throat> Jordan? Oh, I do have one. Sorry. It might be It might be one that you guys have. It might. I'm guessing um, it's not. Okay. It might be one. I'll be shocked have. if it is. Uh, my, my first one from 84. This is one of my all-time favorite artists, composers. Not what you think of when you think of 80s music, but... Uh, it's, Ooh, Glenn Gould Part 2. Yeah. Let's hear this. Yeah. Uh, this song was composed in 1981, recorded in 84, uh, by John Rutter and the Cambridge Singers. Okay, so he's, okay. Uh, he's the choir director of the Cambridge Singers. We've sung his songs in uh, church. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And... 
as far as like choral music goes, he is the king. Like super well known, and his choir, the Cambridge Singers. You see that Jason's thrown off right now. He's, he's reaching he's for, a for a cupcake. He's like, <laughs> "Dang it, Brandon's bringing the Cambridge Singers." I've got to go somebody, back to the drawing said board. Church. It's not even Sunday, and my brain turned off. You're like, "Give me the cupcake." Anyway, um, so he does a lot of uh, arrangements of other stuff, but then composes his own uh, choral works as well. Uh, this song is called "The Lord Bless You and Keep You." Which the lyrics are taken from it's one of the one of Moses's books. I don't know. <laughs> Somewhere in there. Numbers, Deuteronomy, one, one I don't five. know. Um, so here we go. Let's hear some John Rudder. Starts out all in unison, and then uh, second verse, they get the harmonies coming in. And then I just want to skip to the end where they, they do the amens, and this is... This is glorious stuff. Okay, it's nice. I have questions. Very That's nice. an ultimate goosebumps one for me. Beautiful. Okay, help me out. Yeah. First of all, how did you get into this? Uh, well, like I said, a lot of classical music in my house growing up. A uh, lot of, a lot of. My dad had this album. Um, and was other he Cambridge. like classically trained, or he just liked this? Like he just got into this type of. He stuff plays and piano and organ. Okay. And has always accompanied the church choirs. Um, so he played this in the house when you were young. When you were younger, did you connect to it? No, uh, it wasn't until um, on my mission had a you know someone in the apartment had left a Cambridge Singers. Tape oh, really? there. now Brandon, what is a mission? <laughs> oh. For for our listeners, that's a uh, two <laughs> two year. <laughs> Brand, Brandon traveled the world talking to people about Jesus. That's what we did. Which is admirable. Yeah. Tell us more about your beliefs. <laughs> so so anyway. you so you stumble across you stumble across this album that somebody had left in yeah. an apartment you're living at and it happens to be 
um, same group that your dad, did you recognize it instantly as, oh, dad had that growing up? I... Uh, I recognized the group. I hadn't. I hadn't ever listened to it by choice mm-hmm. when I was at home. You know, I, it wasn't me that put it in the CD player, right. but I would hear it. Uh, but then once, uh, once I had this tape, and I would listen to it over and over, and really grew to love it, and then started buying. So it. then, my other question that I'm I'm really curious about, like how. How do you listen to it now? How do you make space? Because that is totally out of place. That's like a reverential song. That is worship in some capacity. Yeah. It would be totally out of place in a contemporary playlist. Like it would be tough for my brain to go from Iggy and the Stooges in a random playlist to that. Right. Um do you have to like make space for a playlist? Do you attach that to like a moment of meditation where you're very intentionally trying to tap into what that song brings how do you how do you make space for that for somebody today of yeah. my age that looks like me that probably <laughs> that is probably that is him. probably needs <laughs> no, a friend this friend good, of mine it's good question friend it's, of mine it's not uh, you know it's not popular music right um and you're yeah not, the, you're not lifting weights we don't you listen to it or or necessarily driving like people don't right. think of this as driving around kind of music. Yeah. Uh sometimes it is for me. It is, but yeah, it's not like a playlist kind of thing necessarily. It'll be like I I want John Ryder today. Right. Um But you've got like Sunday playlists, yeah, often right? You've got it'll, like a it'll spiritual be a, a Sunday Sunday playlist. Mhm. Uh, or it also fits Does, in. Is John with, Rutter uh, a com- like a a composer uh leader does he play an instrument? No, he directs. He's the a choir. direct and, and choir director. Is he, he's an arranger too, right? Uh-huh. He arranges songs, so he takes stuff that's all been written in, kind of like Mac Wilberg, right? I thought you were saying stuff. John Ritter, and I was hoping it was going to be a Three's Company. Um, <laughs> Come on, knock on that door. Song. <laughs> We've been waiting for you. No, I've got a ton of their Christmas albums that have like half half are songs that we all recognize, but also lots of very British ones, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, he has a bunch of original Christmas songs on there as well. Um, but the, this album is from Gloria, the sacred music of John Rutter. So, and it's got a lot of little short, just uh, choral works on here. Cool. Yeah. Very so nice. Love it. When, I, when I'm in that mood, this, this scratches that itch for me. Yeah. I like it. Very nice. And speaking of uh, John Ritter and Three's Company, I want us to do an episode on top 10 80s TV theme songs. I'm all in. Because I'm a, I could do it right now. Yeah. I, oh. I'm not even kidding. I could, I'm, Family I was, Ties. I was Mr. Belvedere. I was born for this. I could yeah. do it right now. What's your? Let's just go for a minute. Side tangent quickly. What's your, off the top of your head, your so, favorite one? Um, I love Different Strokes. Okay. Weirdly love the Chips theme song. Sure. Uh, yeah. Family Ties is good. Mr. Belvedere is good. Yeah. Uh, facts of Life oh, is yeah. fantastic. Take Very the good, good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts of um, life. I mean, they, I don't know. Yeah, there's That's a lot like, of good ones. Okay, we're going to do an episode on this later because we want to listen to these. Chips is so. instrumental, but it's got incredible horns. Oh, Magnum PI. Magnum PI, good. I can't oh, you know which one I love? PI it's is. got like a spoken word narrative, is the A Team. Oh, yeah. So good. <laughs> yeah, 18. Bam, Decade bam, Champ, right there. 80s bam, theme song. Probably. <laughs> Should be. Okay. Okay. What 84. Are we on? 84. Choice. I got an 84. And I've got one, and you've got one more, right? Yeah. Let's go Jason next. Oh, all right. 
this is now where I've, I've officially stopped playing nice, and I'm just only scratching, scratching my own itches. And we're not, we're not even going to um, know who these people no, are. No, you will. You will. Mm-hmm. You absolutely will. It's probably a song you've heard, and it, it like probably shouldn't make anybody's top ten, but this is what I want to preserve. I'm getting rid of all the crap now, Good. and I'm keeping what I want, and I'm going 1984, um, <laughs> uh, a little... So this band was Nirvana before Nirvana was Nirvana. In fact, here's the notes I wrote. Nirvana before Nirvana was Nirvana, only better at being Nirvana. And you can probably guess who it was. It was a three-piece out of Minnesota. It, they pioneered punk, alternative rock. Minute they Man? combined. No, Minutemen's out of San Pedro. No. I, love replace, okay. I love the Minutemen. They're on my okay. honorable mention. Okay. No, it's it's Husker Du. Oh, okay. um, Bob Mould and a, a three-piece Husker Du. They had this run of really, really important <clears throat> albums that kind of set the stage for punk, where punk was going to become, what alternative was going to become. I don't think grunge, I don't think Nirvana exists if not for Husker Du. Um, I'm glad you're bringing this because I do not know Husker Du. I knew the name, but I don't know. Yeah, Three Piece no. Out of Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, famous album. They had like three really famous albums. This one's called Zen Arcade is the album. Concept album, double album, concept album about a kid that wants to leave his family because life sucks at home. Finds out the life in the real world. Is he might... really good at pinball? No, he does find out that life in the real world sucks even worse than life at home. Though it's a, it's a, a reality check, and this is a song called uh, "Something I Learned Today," kind of a famous Husker Du song. Nice, fired up. Let's do this. down it's it's emotion it's aggression but there's a melody to their guitars there's a melody to their their songs they're super cool nirvana has referenced them uh chris their bass player uh has referenced them like nirvana wouldn't have existed without without Husker Du. I think Husker Du actually did it better and more consistently um they weren't interested in in being on the radio nirvana had a weird relationship with mtv and top 40 but at the end of the day they wanted their stuff played and Husker Du was just telling a story uh really effectively the way i heard husker do um speaking of church i had like the world's coolest sunday school teacher when i was a teenager and i <laughs> and he heard me talking about stone temple pilots and nirvana and his name was bruce and he's like he's like you think nirvana is so cool there's this group that was way better than nirvana that <laughs> did this whole thing better you should check him out and he he handed me a husker do tape and it, um, I think it was actually Zen Arcade, wow. and it like instantly connected to me. I was like, "All right, Bruce is right. Bruce this is the gospel right. according They're to Bruce." The real thing. Um, so I, I dig it's it. Cool. I love them. Um, it's, it's crazy how unique this sounds from coming from the eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there's <laughs> hardly anything else like this. And it's eighty nope. four. That's eighty four. So these guys were contemporaries, does, and even I before, mean, you got, like, you got hair metal. Yep. But that, like, as far as like. Re- 
straight up rock music. That's well, about it. All the punk as guys as had as gone to new wave or so. That's what's interesting. This so refreshing to hear they just stuck distorted with guitars not, and real drums and they stuck with it. It's not, not going, quite yeah, like not that. quite new wave, not quite metal. Grunge doesn't even exist, and it's not quite punk. It's just pure emotion and they're they're a three-piece they're Mm -hmm. super cool that way like the pixies wouldn't exist if it wasn't for these guys they were were contemporaries with rem Mm -hmm. nirvana doesn't exist they really they really set an important stage for what would become like college rock underground rock alternative rock um and uh ultimately grunge all i think owes a debt to them so i'm gonna preserve it i love them love it cool Great, All right. great pick. My second 84. I've got an 84. Oh, you do. If you want me to go, go in, it. then you yeah. go. And it might be the same one. It might be totally different. But this is this is a, a, a pop band. Everyone will know this song if you've heard 80 songs. It's uh, The Cars. And one of my, you know, in terms of uh, top 40 pop bands from the 80s, they're one, definitely one of my favorites. The song that I chose to pick is kind of their classic hit, Drive, the kind of 80s ballad, Drive, Rick Ocasek, and the Cars, 1984. From the album Heartbeat City. Rest in peace, mm-hmm. Rick Ocasek. Really, Died really September. important. Yeah. yeah, really important music character. Listen to that gated drum snare right there. Mm-hmm. Tons of reverb, and then just collapses... So this is the Cars. This is the I cars. always thought this was Ocasek solo. This is the Cars. Mm. Really different from just what I needed. Yeah. The other one I think of was. So they're right, usually cars. like real syncopated, upbeat yeah. pop. So this is a ballad, so it's not as indicative of Cars, but I but I chose it. I mean, partially because I'm I'm a ballad guy. I like their other stuff too, for sure. Um, and. Well, there's another interesting thing. He, his, the woman from the video was a was a model. I can't remember her, his name, her name, but he married her, and uh, he died in September. It's just a weird kind of gossipy news trivia. When he died, there was a. I read the news story about it that he had changed his will like a month before he died to remove his wife from his will. So the woman that he was married to, I guess they had been estranged for maybe the last uh-huh. year or two of his marriage. Uh, but <laughs> so just a weird t- tidbit. Not very uh, happy Jeez, Jordan, ending. What a downer. On, it's just a little like uh, I don't know <laughs> mystery to like if you want to go down a rabbit hole of gossip and and tabloid. I think news, you should opine. I think that. you should come up with a theory that you should. I've got no put theory. out in the form of a podcast. I think people are weird. <laughs> That's my theory. <laughs> people are weird, and who knows your what's clini- going on? Your clinical assessment. Yeah. But that song, you know, that was the song of theirs I definitely it, knew. It's been in a bunch of movies. Yeah. It's, it's again, very... Um, I think you've kind of thematically captured the, mm-hmm. like, the whole overall culture of the 80s right. where pop was, was working its way into commercials, into movies, into TV. Right. Right. And it was all kind of becoming inseparable. And this yeah. is, like, I think another classic. This like, is a version you're not going to hear Husker Du in a movie. No. Um, but you would hear this in probably 50 yeah. movies about the 80s. And it's a good pop song. And this is where 80s kind of reminds me of the 50s again, where 
people were getting really good at creating, whether it was ballads or up-tempo stuff, creating poppy, catchy stuff that you want to listen to. Um, later in life, like in my 20s, I, I, I got probably, a, I don't know, probably a Cars Greatest hits, hits album, and I started listening to their other stuff, and I love their up-tempo stuff too. Um, but decided to choose the ballad for this one. Nice. Good tune. That's my 84. You, what do you got, okay. Brandon? For 1984, um, I think this is from the best-selling album of that year, Born in the USA, Bruce Springsteen. Mm, okay. um, I'm I'm late coming to Bruce Springsteen. I, I always knew who he was. And, of course, this uh, the song Born in the USA was playing everywhere at the time. Um, but I I didn't really start appreciating him until probably just this last year. Like, I occasionally would get some albums from his of the library, listen to him, because I know he's critically acclaimed uh, with the um, Born to Run album and um, Nebraska and some of the others. But I think something about his voice just seemed to affect it to me and turned me off for a while. His voice, uh, and he did become a little bit of a, like a, cartoon character i mean it was it was caricature it was the t-shirt and jeans mm-hmm. like it, it just felt like a the well, image I, felt contrived and it yeah. somehow it put it was off-putting to me but I, he's a, I was surprised even listening to born to run which is an earlier one i think he even sounds older on that one than he does on this album hmm. something about his anyway he just yeah something about that voice turned me off and so i i didn't stick with it um but the more I've listened to it, the more I've liked it. And I I like I like the music. And so the song I chose is Dancing in the Dark. Um, and I just really like so much about this song. You like seeing the Friends Lady dancing in the video. I've never seen the video. Who's the Friends Lady? One of the ladies from that TV show, Friends. Okay. Okay. No, I, Jennifer Aniston? I think she's... Yeah. Courtney no, Courtney Cox. I come home in the morning. I go to bed feeling the same way I ain't nothing but tired Man, I'm just tired and bored with myself Hey there, baby I could use just a little bit You can't start a fire You can't start a fire without a spark This gun's for hire Even if we're just dancing in the dark Messages keep getting clearer Radio's on and I'm moving around the place I check my look in the mirror Yeah, great tune, great message Definitely 80s I, I like Iconic that he's Iconic 80s um, It's got the, the sense of optimism to it mm-hmm. Despite the, the struggles You know, right. w- wishing you were in a different place In a different life situation Wanting to change everything But also realizing that you can't just wallow in, in self pity you gotta right you gotta do something do you like this album seek out help yeah uh i haven't listened to the whole thing yet but i i like what i've heard so i had a state trooper from nebraska on my honorable mention i still don't fully connect with bruce springsteen um like even that lyric it's it's you can't start a fire you can't start a fire without a spark it feels it feels corny Mm-hmm. But I know he's a good songwriter. He's a he's a better songwriter yeah. than I give him credit for. Um, but it just it hasn't 
click. Yeah. It like never for my singer songwriter, yeah. I'm going to take. I'm going to take you know Dylan or Young, yeah. or even if we're talking '80s, I'm going to take Billy Bragg. Like any, every time, mm-hmm. um, I need to give him a more of a chance. I like Nebraska. I like the album Nebraska. It's it's a really raw, stripped down acoustic album, pretty dark thematically. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, as you said, the singer songwriter. I'm like, who are singer songwriters from the '80s? I had like, the same. In question. other words, like Dylan, like Dylan Young. Springsteen, I think, is an accurate kind of decade by decade. It would be hard to be to if Neil Young was becoming Neil Young in the yeah. '80s. I think that would have been hard for him, or Bob Dylan. So you, you know, have there's more than you. I, so I had the same question because I, I at first I thought maybe the singer songwriter like died in the '80s, um, but there's there's some some of them are on my underrated um, like definitely well, you Billy, Billy Bragg. Bragg, but he, I, I mean that's pretty deep cut right it is i mean but i think I'm even thinking, so like zeitgeist like was their singer songwriter there were but they were forced i think to be a little bit different versions for- yeah. but i think you could still say like i think you could say and sadly I, I mean i'll spoil it that these people aren't on my top 10 i think kate bush is a singer songwriter mm-hmm. tracy mm-hmm. chapman is a singer songwriter yeah. and they all like came out of the 80s sure um they're there but it, I think things were getting buried. It was so, yeah, it was they, buried. Things it wasn't were a decade because, for them because very pop, much. everything was going pop. Pop right. became such a, a behemoth. Yeah. It, I think Springsteen's unique in that he had these huge hits, like a major album, mm-hmm. uh, tons of radio play, but he doesn't come across as shallow like so many of the typical 80s. Yeah. So when like he, he's got depth to him, and sometimes it can border on the on the cheesiness. Like w- I, I get that. When but. when Jason, when you're talking about the, I connect with the yeah, it's a little cheesy. The lyrics, I, it strikes me that a lot of the kind of for me, and I don't know. Here's a theory: aesthetically, the stuff that we like, even if we can recognize some cheesiness, or if we don't think it's cheesy and we're defending, that's not cheesy. This is yeah. good. It's like whose earnestness do we buy and believe, mm-hmm. and, and instead of kind of like cringe at. You know, who's earnest is like, and well, and honestly, it just, I think it took me into this long to get past right. the sound of that keyboard. Yeah. Right. Right. And the gated that, drums, that it's just like, like super 80s, which is why, which is why I prefer Nebraska in yeah. part because there's just no, there's no extra. Guitar, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was originally demos. It yeah, was, if he came out in the seventies, would, what, what would he, would he be bigger than he is? Or or not because there was so much of the singer song. He's pretty big. He's pretty huge, and he was maybe one of the only. I mean, we can't even think of who are the singer songwriters being more trying to be a more authentic of the '80s. It's hard to find. So, but he would have sounded a lot different if he didn't come out of the '80s. Everyone kind of got the '80s. I think he was 35 when this album came out. Was he he really? He was doing stuff because Nebraska, not Nebraska. Born to Run, I think that was seventy. That was seventy. Okay, out. wow. Okay, I guess that makes sense though, because Dar- Darkness a- on the Edge of Town is a seventies album. Um, yeah, yeah, right. That was the one after that, and then eighty, he had one that has Hungry Heart on it. Yeah. So he was well established. Hungry Heart was his before biggest hit at that time, but it only made. Like, yeah, I, I know he's better than I give him credit for, and I need to find like time to to just spend. Well, like him. I said, I'm I'm still new to it. Like I've been. Did you see that movie that came out recently? That, that was a big part of it. Did that help? Yeah. So you see it like in a seeing, different context because I hadn't really. Um, I intentionally didn't see the movie. It didn't yeah. look good. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brandon's a better person than you. We've established this. <laughs> I'm reminded every time I record one of these, and and better than me. It, it was know. fun seeing this. He's got John Rutter on his list. We don't seeing this teenage Pakistani kid really connect yeah. with these these lyrics of this guy. Like yeah, in the eighties, I think when this came out, it w- was 
more dad rock. Like teenagers in the 80s yeah. don't think we're really mm, digging this Interesting, stuff. yeah. Dad rock. That's interesting. Okay. I, I, yeah, I okay. think uh, we'll see that. Okay. I've got an 85. Do you have an 85? I do. Me I too. have it marked here as an 85 slash 86, but I'll just call it an 85. Um, this is uh, my favorite of one of my definitely f- favorite artists of the decade. The artist is Prince. And it's the song Kiss. And am I forgetting which album it's from? I can't remember what album it's from, but Kiss by Prince. I think it is... Um, Go ahead and cue it up. Parade. Super funky, super catchy, super... um, Maybe one of the best karaoke songs of all time. Mm Mm-hmm. See, to me, the drums are a lot more interesting here than a lot of the other 80s drums we're listening to. Are because they? of the space. Yeah. The space. Mm. They're using the same aesthetic of the sound and the rep- repetition, but it's they're giving us more space in between. He has a couple nice pauses. I love pauses in songs Mm -hmm. right here. That's so good. (laughs) I like songs that have slight crescendos. This one builds up. The last verse is my favorite in this. He is screaming. He is shrieking into the microphone. But it's like melodic in a way only Prince can. He's he's definitely... I mean, I'm not going to do any more spoilers, but he's definitely one of my favorites of the 80s. (laughs) And... uh, yeah. Are we getting a, yeah. a taste of your decade champ? No. Worst secret keeper ever. We'll see. It's a Saturday Night Live character. Well, I'm also Jordan, looking at my clock Jordan and I'm Harman. like, I've got 10 minutes left. Jordan Jordan Harmon, worst secret keeper ever. I just want to give a little tease. All right. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you what I am going to tell you. Okay, Jason. 85. Let's hear it. 85. Oh, this one. This one's... I, everybody's going to know this one. I'll just jump right to it. I love this song. I think it's one of the best songs of the decade. I think it's an all-time great song. It's a weird, mysterious song. My wife hates it because she said it makes her feel dark. Um, and if a song can have that influence on a human, they've done something. They've tapped into something pretty incredible. Um, I think it's an underrated band. I didn't pick them as my most underrated, but mm-hmm. I think they're they're a candidate for underrated of the decade. Echo and the Bunnymen off of their Ocean Rain album, The Killing Moon. Kind of a mysterious song. You don't fully know what it's about, but it's it's a, a, a dark, weird kind of love song. Under blue moon I saw you So soon you'll take me Up in your arms too late to beg you Or cancel it though I Thick and thin. He will wait until you give 
kind of surprised by. I don't. I don't think of this as a dark song. Um, this is like light gray. <laughs> Maybe by some standards, it gets, it's dark, man. It's killing time. Um, it's a dark love song. Hmm. Fate up against your will through the thick and thin. It's this kind of um, eternal debate: will versus fate. Um, you don't exactly know what's happening or what's going to happen. Again, probably a reflection. You, uh, we, Because of the ambiguity of the lyrics, a good person like yourself can hear it and not hear it as a, a dark song and a slightly worse person. Well, like it's me. hard to pay attention to the lyrics the first time you're hearing a song. Yeah. You, this is the first I've, time you've heard it? Yeah. I've, this For well, me, too. It, it sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't. It's a really cool max, mashup of strings. Um, like I said, Echo and the Bunnymen, if you haven't spent time with them, they've got about a four-album run. Uh, let's see, Porcupine, uh, Crocodiles... Ocean Rain, uh, really, really good. They're a good rock band, like a, a legitimately good rock band, and I think they kind of get swallowed up and assumed to be more new wave than they are. They're really good. Mm-hmm. They're worth spending time with. But this is like, I think this is their pinnacle. This is absolutely them um, doing doing what they're the best at, doing it really good. Um, it's just a great song. It's really moody, um, definitely taps into emotion, and uh, I, I think it's a just a great piece. Top 10 80s for me. Cool. Yeah. yeah, they're one that I've never given time to. It sounds very different than the other stuff we've been listening to. So I mean, I hear cool. some some uh, Bauhaus, some Peter Murphy in there. Yeah. I hear some Cure. Yep. Yeah. All of the above. Check, check, check. Mm-hmm. Bauhaus. All right. What year are we at now? Uh, that was 85. I've, I've got an 85. Okay. Uh, this is another one of the, uh, what I would say is one of the still top bands from the eighties that holds up really well. The Smiths. Oh yeah. Um, I had a hard time choosing which one of their songs. They've got a lot of really great songs and they, I guess they tend to have a similar sound, uh, of each other. Uh, they, they fell out of my top 10 about two days ago. It was a yeah. last minute cut and I'm still bummed mm-hmm. about it. So, yeah, I uh, I ended up going with "How Soon Is Now" by them, which was the one I had. Uh, is probably it sounds different from other Smith songs to me, uh, mostly because of that guitar riff, the that really heavy. Uh, you know, what's what's that effect called? Uh, is, is it a digital delay or like a phaser? Well, and then they're they're messing tremolo. with the tremolo. It's the tremolo. Yeah, and then the the, at the beginning they're they're messing with the the panning. The, yeah, the the panning left to right. Uh-huh. It, it, when you listen to it on headphones, it's almost uh, disconcerting at the yeah. beginning because it's going left to right. Yeah. So right. So hopefully you're listening to this on headphones. Buckle up.
the the singer Morrissey, he's he's an interesting guy. He's so bratty, and you can even yeah. hear it in his lyrics. So there. arrogant, yeah. <laughs> but he's got like this one of a kind voice. I, mm-hmm. I just love his voice. Great voice. Um, the Smiths, I, I came to later in life. Uh, never really liked them through high school. I had a bunch of friends that liked them then. Um, they're one of my wife's favorite bands, so I started listening to them more once we were dating. Um, and I'd always tease her about it because, like, their hits have a have a really great so- sound to it. And he, I know he can do good melodies. Like, this has a cool melody. But then the deep tracks on the albums, it's like he just goes... He just finds two notes and goes back and forth. Goes back and forth. Like I've got five minutes to write this song. Brandon's Morrissey impression is worth it. Yeah, but they're they're hits. He can he can do. It's another Saturday Night Live character that people are demanding. Brandon Brandon doing doing Morrissey. Who's a Morrissey fanatic? It's Smith fanatic. Emron Esplin. Oh yeah, yeah. We're gonna, shout out to yeah. Emron Esplin. Shout out to Emron. Uh, here's a quote that I I found from from Morrissey. He says um, they they wanted to fill a gap in radio that that they saw. He says up until then, either you were a chart group with no substance, or you were kind of an indie group who nobody ever got to hear. Oh, Johnny Marr says this. This charming man. Not this song, but this charming man found a happy compromise. It brought a real commercial kind of sound together with interesting lyrics and a good groove concept. I think the Smiths did that overall. The lyrics are hold up well, really interesting. He's he's one of the most literary uh, lyric writers out yeah. there. Interesting lyrics, um, awesome lyrics, and a lot of contrast with what he's singing about versus the the sound of the song. Because the mo- this song song is a little more somber. Minor mm-hmm, Cordy, yeah. but a lot of their songs are very poppy, upbeat. They did, but they were also he's singing about wanting to get hit by a bus and yeah, like very emotive. But then also like delving into the political sphere, very very yeah. much as well. But they're super important to the to the eighties. Like I can't think of the the eighties without right. the Smiths as far as like important pieces of 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 rock and music in general. It's surprising. Mm-hmm. They, they're only together for three years, I think. Right. Not a long time. Three albums. I Very think, I think only three real, three, years. three studio albums. They might have the record for most compilation albums per I was going to say, album. they have more <laughs> compilations. <laughs> right. It, like it's it, crazy when they, you delve into They had into a compilation discography. come out after their first album. And then they got another album coming out, and then so, another compilation. Because what they were doing, they were releasing singles in the United Kingdom. They were releasing singles in the, the United States. Like, Joy Division was kind of doing the same thing. And so then they would even have these singles that didn't end up on a studio release right. album. Which this was one of them, right? Right. How Soon Is Now, I think it was a B-side to yeah. a different single. And the, so then they would put them together in these compilations. Um, and, and Morrissey, just arrogant enough to do that. But yeah, I mean, he was a yeah. whether he's solo or with the Smiths, he's like indel- just absolutely tied to the to the eighties as yeah. a decade. He to me the the Smiths and Morrissey, there's a melodrama to it that wouldn't work if it wasn't for some of the absurdity mm-hmm. and more overt darkness that comes out in some of the lyrics, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and yeah, I, I I got into them from my brother-in-law who was way into Morrissey and Smiths, and uh, one of my favorite songs of theirs. Uh, didn't quite make my top 10. I'm glad I, I figured, and I was hoping one of you would have them on there. Well, thanks for tuning in listeners. That this will be part one of our 1980s episode. So 
check us out next week for the continuation. Once once Jordan's done coaching his basketball game, we'll get back get back at this. And, and by the uh, way, we hope you, uh, you we hope you enjoyed the the deep cuts. Um, episode on the 70s that we did maybe we'll do another one for the 80s i don't know i think we was too it was fun i enjoyed it there's quite a few i mean there's going to be deep cuts everywhere as we go that we're leaving off um yeah if you got any suggestions or feedback or if you'd like to vote on vote on your own picks text brandon and his personal phone number five 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 six seven eight one two one two or send him a send him a, 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 send a, a postcard fax. to his house at one two three Fake Street, <laughs> or a fax. He's got a fax machine. He'd love to hear from you. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys later. Soon I will make